evening is in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Please give careful attention now uh, to the reading of God's very word. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests. <clears throat> And the Levites <clears throat> and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. And have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment and of hissing as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasiah, and Joel the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalalel, and of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimmah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elazaphan, Shemri, and Jeuel, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel, and Shimei. And of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel, they gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it 
out to the brook Kidron. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. And then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord. <clears throat> and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils, all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made the sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also, and the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. And then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests 
in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings. And there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. For the thing came about suddenly. And then back in the book of 2 Kings, uh, we'll also read a short portion of chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18 verses 1 through 8. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Avi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord the God of Israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. We'll stop reading there with God's fair word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would come now and preach your gospel to us, your little children, and that you would open up these passages of scripture and you would give us great encouragement that you are powerful and mighty to save. And Lord, the great work that you did saving Hezekiah and using him, we pray that you would do that in our day. Oh Lord, we are in desperate need of revival and of reformation in our day. Hear our cry and grant it for the praise of your name or we will perish as a nation. In Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, King Ahaz, uh, it, it was painful for us to look at this wicked king so full of unbelief. Uh, who would have thought uh, that his son would be such a striking difference? Why? The amazing grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. We are not told uh, who it was that brought the gospel to bear upon uh, King Hezekiah's uh, life. We do know, as we will see in the chapters uh, that unfold, uh, that um, Isaiah the prophet uh, had a very, very prominent place uh, in the life of this king. Uh, we saw uh, uh, Isaiah's uh, interaction. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted uh, on his throne in the temple of the Lord. Uh, it was uh, King um, Jotham uh, that Uzziah uh, preached the gospel to in his day. Uh, King Ahaz um, was confronted uh, repeatedly by this great man of God. Uh, what Hezekiah saw and when, we are not given the particulars. But what we do see is uh, the testimony of a man who was captured by the grace of God, who knew the Christ, and who right from the very start of his reign was faithful and godly and fearless. And the vast uh, entirety of his Life was a wonderful testimony of God's grace. Now, as we're going to see, at the end of his life, uh, he, he did stumble uh, in pride. Uh, but the Lord restored him, and he repented. Uh, he is described in the book of 2 Kings that we read uh, as unique among all the kings of Israel since the days of David and Solomon, uh, the testimony was there was not a king like him since David and Solomon, nor would there be after him until his greater son, uh, the king of kings, uh, would appear. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years. Our text in 2 Chronicles tells us uh, there in verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. And you remember we saw that David was not a perfect man either. Even these good kings... Um, had uh, a clay feet. Even these good kings uh, had glaring inconsistencies at times. And it cried forth, uh, we need a good king. We need a perfect king. Praise God that in the fullness of time, God has provided such a king. His name is Jesus of Nazareth the eternal Son of God who has come and taken on human flesh. We read in verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, 
right at the very start of King Hezekiah's reign, he understood the importance of bowing before the living God. We see uh, there in verse 10, his testimony. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Uh, This was a renewal uh, of the covenant, of that relationship that he had uh, with the living God, of his commitment to follow the Lord. The Lord had put his hand upon his people, and now his people are responding in uh, like uh, manner, uh, saying, Lord, and we give ourselves to you. We see that Hezekiah understood that it would be crucial uh, for the worship of Almighty God uh, to be restored. And in the Old Testament economy, uh, that focused on the temple. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You remember that Ahaz uh, had uh, uh, nailed the doors shut. Ahaz had set up all of these pagan idols, uh, even there in the courtyard of the house of the Lord, and led God's people in horrifying idolatry. His son Hezekiah will have none of it, but he will declare as Joshua did, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he uh, is wise, he is faithful to the Lord, he uh, is seeking to trust and obey, he does not do uh, what King Uzziah had done. Uh, He does not go himself into the temple and clean house, uh, but he summons the Levites, and he says, you need to get to work and do your duty. The priests (coughs) and the Levites, he assembled them in verse 4 in the square on the east, and he preached to them. He called upon them calling them to turn back to the Lord and to give themselves to do the work that God had entrusted uh, to them to do. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord. Consecrate means to set apart as holy, uh, to uh, uh, set what is amiss right. And we are reminded In the book of Revelation, when we see the exalted risen Christ, what does he do? He walks among his lampstands. He walks among his people in those seven churches that existed in Asia Minor to bring the gospel to bear, uh, to encourage what is right and good, and to correct what is amiss, calling the people uh, of that day and every age until time will be no more to give themselves to worship the true and the living God 
through our Lord Jesus. We have this stirring call uh, to uh, clean house, remove the filth from the holy place. In verse 6, for our fathers had been unfaithful and had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. And you remember the testimony uh, that God had given uh, to Solomon in answer to his prayer in chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves in the context of God's chastening hand upon his people. God told Solomon in chapter 7 verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods, and worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. In chapter 29, as the Lord blessed Hezekiah's leadership, the Levites, and we see the leaders uh, there by the families uh, of, of the Levites listed in verse 12 and, and following, uh, they get to work. And we read in verse 16, The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple. Hezekiah had said back in verse 7, Our fathers have turned their faces from the habitation of the Lord. 
They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. And therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem. And he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. And if you go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, those very phrases uh, are used to describe what the end of God's people would be if they ever turned away from the fountain of living waters and turned to false gods. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. And so Hezekiah, he leads in this revival, in this reformation. God was stirring in his heart and God used him to stir in the hearts of these priests. And we also know that Isaiah was preaching and God was blessing his word and his gospel to the hearts of his people. We see down in verse 18, then they went to into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread, and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Now, if you'll turn back with me to Second Kings, we have uh, additional information that really is fascinating. Um, as this house cleaning took place, we read that it was focused there in Jerusalem on uh, uh, and in the temple, but it also included throughout the land. And we see uh, in verse 3 of chapter 18 of Second Kings, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now this was hundreds of years before. Hundreds and hundreds of years. If you'll turn, you keep your finger there, we're going to come back to 2 Kings 18, but over in the book of Numbers chapter 21, uh, we have the record of the bronze serpent, Nehushtan. And uh, Nehushtan is a Hebrew word that sounds like the word for either bronze or snake. And um, so this bronze serpent had existed. It had been in uh, the picture uh, since the days of Moses. But it had been used in a wicked way. Initially, it was brought into being by the command of God himself. And it was, uh, as we're going to see in just a moment, 
uh, a picture of the gospel. Uh, in Numbers chapter 21, we read in verse 4, From Mount Hor they set out, this is the children of Israel now being led by Moses after they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And what is it they're referring to? The manna that God graciously was showering down from heaven day after day after day. Uh, all those years, every morning except on the Sabbath day, God would shower bread down from heaven. And he told them, he said, just keep enough. Uh, what you're going to eat that day, throw it away. If you try to keep it uh, two days during the week, uh, it, it will grow foul and grow worms. And some of the people did not believe the Lord, and that's exactly what happened. But the Lord told them, the day before the Sabbath, I want you to gather twice as much as you normally do, and it won't grow foul uh, then. And God provided for his people. Well, at this point, they are complaining even at the provision of God's gracious hand. And so verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died and the people came to Moses and said we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us so Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Um, well, the Lord Jesus makes reference to this account uh, over in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, in his discourse with Nicodemus. And the Lord Jesus gives us a commentary. My library uh, is full of lots of old dusty books. And many of those books um, are uh, from uh, the testimony of pastors who've lived, some of them, hundreds of years. <coughs> but there is one commentary that I have in my library that I never have to wonder uh, whether... Uh, the commentator uh, got it right when he was comment, uh, commenting on a passage of Scripture. Uh, and that is God's own word. Uh, we have uh, uh, the words of men, and it's a sweet blessing for me to be able to get in my uh, uh, time machine and be able to go back and sit uh, with uh, Matthew Henry and Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin and so forth and say, well, what do you think this passage uh, means? Uh, but uh, they are just men. 
And their comments on those passages sometimes are helpful and sometimes uh, they uh, were out to lunch. But whenever we have God commenting on his own word, uh, we never have to wonder. I wonder if he understood it correctly. And so here we have the Lord Jesus giving us a commentary on this event that happened uh, in Numbers 21. You remember Nicodemus in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now we're very familiar with verse 16 of John chapter 3. But notice the first word of verse 16 is for. And the Lord Jesus is explaining what was going on there in Moses' day. Uh, here is this shadow uh, of, of the redeeming work of Messiah that was pictured so powerfully and graphically in Moses' day. And Jesus is pointing this teacher of Israel saying, Look, of all people, you ought to understand these things that to be right with the living God, you must have faith in God's provision the one he has provided to take the curse in our place. To be lifted up on a pole was a symbol that God's curse rested upon you. And God delivered his people up by cursing this substitute. And when the people looked, all they had to do was look in faith. It doesn't have to make sense, but God said that if I had this uh, a snake bite, 
uh, if I look to the snake on the pole, uh, God will heal me. He will give me life instead of death. And Jesus says, here is this shadow of the Old Testament. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was lifted up on a pole, uh, on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, the book of Deuteronomy tells us. And that's quoted over in Galatians chapter 3. That Christ became a curse for us uh, so that we might go free. And what must we do? To have eternal life, believe in the Lord Jesus. Turning from our sin and reaching out the beggar's hand of faith, laying hold of Jesus, the risen Son of God, who died upon the cross. Well, what a glorious provision God had given to his people. But after Moses' day, the people wickedly took this symbol of the gospel itself and made it an idol, and they would bow down and offer sacrifices to Nehushtan. And so one of the things that Hezekiah did in leading uh, the people to turn their backs on these pagan idols in the world and to run back to the Christ and confess their trust in the living God, he took the bronze serpent and he broke it in pieces. And we read that in 2 Kings chapter 18. He not only removed the high places throughout the land and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, of these pornographic totem poles that had been set up. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him. Well, this revival that takes place in Hezekiah's day, we have the details of all of the first burnt offerings that were offered. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done so recently, you can read through the book of Leviticus. And in chapter 1 of Leviticus, we have instruction about the burnt offering or the sin offering. That was the very first offering that had to be made. You couldn't just waltz into uh, the temple, no, a priest would meet you, and you couldn't go and offer all of these other sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord without first confessing your sin and offering a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering. And Leviticus chapter 1 describes where the person would come and give your offering to the priest, and you would lay your hand on the animal's head. And as your hand was on the animal's head, the priest then would take a knife and kill the animal. And it symbolized that that animal was dying 
in your place. Now turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. And this amazing portion of Scripture reminds us that all of these things that took place in the Old Testament economy were shadows and types pointing to the sacrifice that alone can take away sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but what? A shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But there is a sacrifice that isn't just the picture of what can take away sins, but actually does cleanse us. It is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Down in verse 11 of chapter 10, talking about this Old Testament economy, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And so in Hezekiah's day, revival and reformation is pictured for us. There in Hezekiah's heart, giving himself anew to the living God and looking in faith uh, for sin to be removed uh, through that Old Testament economy. The priests are summoned and called to cleanse the temple and to start the sacrifices once again. First the burnt offering and then all of the other sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, glorying in who God is. The free will offering. Uh, giving praise to God just because of His goodness to us. But it all flowed from first the burnt offering, the guilt offering. In Hebrews chapter 7, the Lord Jesus reminds us that the priest in the Old Testament, uh, first they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins, and then they could offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But Jesus He is perfect. He did not have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin, for he was and is sinless. But he lives forever uh, to apply that sacrifice of himself that he offered once for all time. 
We read in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so in our day, uh, if we would see the smile of God upon us as individuals, upon our families, upon our congregation, upon this community, upon our land, what do we need? Well, Hezekiah called the people to give themselves anew, to seek the face of the Lord, to turn from their wicked ways, to pray, uh, to humble themselves before the living God. And it all was a shadow and a picture of the work of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In faith, they were looking ahead to his coming. We look back. Of course, Jesus will come again in glory, not to deal with sin, uh, but uh, to culminate history uh, with his appearing. In verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Again, the emphasis uh, the temple was still standing. The priests were still going about uh, uh, doing their thing, and yet... Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, by the power of God's Spirit, uh, Jesus has fulfilled all of that. And in Hezekiah's day, it was necessary for the temple and the priesthood uh, to experience this uh, restart, if you will, of these sacrifices daily being offered in tremendous abundance. Thousands of animals were uh, slaughtered. Uh, the people offering them in faith, looking to the Christ. What would revival in our lives look like? Well, it's not to go to Jerusalem and see uh, the temple reinstituted and the priesthood uh, start their sacrifices again. No, it is for us to look to the one who was the fulfillment of all those shadows. 
We look in faith to the Lord Jesus. He is the one who enters into heaven itself on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read in verse 1, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared, the first section, which in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And that's where the priests would go day in and day out. But there was one place that only one priest who was designated and chosen by lot would go one time a year behind the curtain, behind the veil, into the Holy of Holies. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second. Only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but only deal with food and drink and various washings or baptisms until... regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. And what was the time of Reformation? It was when Christ came. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places by means of the blood, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer Sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so that's what the people uh, were experiencing in Hezekiah's day. Uh, There was this revival that broke out. God poured forth his spirit upon this king. We don't know at what stage in his life, whether he was converted in the womb like John the Baptist or as a young man uh, or uh, when he became king. All we know is this man loved the Lord and he was eaten up with seeking to see God honored and worshiped and adored. So may it be with us and we need what Hezekiah understood and led the people to. And that is, we must get right with God. 
And so they were called to go to the temple. So we also are called to go to the temple. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father who has made him known. We are called to come to the altar that can make people right with God. And it is not there in Jerusalem. It is the altar who is Jesus Christ. We need a high priest who can take us into the presence of God. It is not one from the tribe of Levi, but one who is of a priesthood of a higher order, uh, even than the Levitical priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. I wish we had time to look at more details in the book of Hebrews, but I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews and see this amazing declaration. In Hebrews chapter 9, he reminds us going on in this passage about blood being used to cleanse uh, the people and the sacrifices and the utensils and in verse 22, he says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is... He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, we need revival in our day. And what does that look like? In Hezekiah's day, it was this elaborate work of the temple and the priesthood being put back into use. In our day, it is to look to Christ and to be cleansed by faith in his blood and to delight to have a clean conscience, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, so that we now are delivered from dead works that we might serve the living God. Oh, we're going to see some amazing, encouraging, sweet things in the life of King Hezekiah. But there is nothing sweeter than being right with God. And that's where Hezekiah began. The temple needed to be restarted. The temple needed to be cleansed. The priests needed to do their thing again. Burnt offerings needed to be offered. 
And Jesus is that sacrifice that makes us right with God. And we give ourselves to God as living sacrifices, as free will offerings, as thank offerings to our great God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the revival that broke out, that you saved this man, Hezekiah, and raised him up uh, to stir and call those around him uh, to look to you, the living God, to believe in the Christ through all of those shadows. And Lord, in our day, uh, we need... Uh, you to come down, Lord, if, if, if we would be delivered and spared. Uh, Lord, come and, and capture our hearts as Hezekiah renewed the covenant. Oh, Lord, give us joy this night as we sing, as we come to, <coughs> to your table. Lord, to renew our commitment to follow you, to love you, because you have given yourself for us. We delight to give ourselves anew to you, to be yours in our own hearts, in our homes, in the workplace, among your people. Oh, Lord, standing as citizens in this day, seeking to honor you and to lift up your banner, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we rejoice uh, that you have brought salvation and we beg that you would stir us up and revive us even this night to experience uh, what you granted to Hezekiah and to your people in his day. Do it, Lord, in our day for the glory of your name. We pray to you, the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.